uh, we're going to be looking at Palm Sunday. You might want to find your place. If you have your Bibles, come with me to Luke chapter 19. And Luke chapter 19 is the account of Jesus coming into Jerusalem, coming into that triumphal entry. And what we're going to observe there in Luke chapter 19 is we're going to see some three really key observations about the sovereignty of God. What does the sovereignty of God look like? But before we look at those three things out of Luke chapter 19, uh, I thought it'd be good to define, kind of give you a, a handle on, when we say the words sovereignty of God, what are we talking about? Because that, that language is used so often. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Oh, trust in the sovereignty of God. But come with me to the, to the last chapter of, of Romans, if you would. Romans chapter 16. And we'll use Romans chapter 16. There's a lot of places in the Bible that you could use to define the sovereignty of God. But I really like the end of Romans, in particular because it follows this whole treatise that, that Paul develops about how we come to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that comes through as we, as we repent, as we turn, as we have faith and we trust him, God brings us into this amazing place. And one of the greatest verses uh, uh, that I think in all of the New Testament is found in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, based upon all that Paul talked about of, of coming to Christ in faith, he says, therefore, based upon all those things, there is now no what? There is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And the way I was raised, I was raised with a lot of shame and guilt. And that was kind of like the two bookends of, you know, motivating uh, young kiddos to have a desire to worship God, a desire to follow after God, uh, shame and guilt. And so when I came to have a personal faith in Jesus Christ and recognizing that I have a relationship with God that's based upon not shame and not guilt, but because the Lord loves me, and that as I respond to his love, as I, as I allow the Holy Spirit to woo me to his love, there was no condemnation, and I stand before him as a child of God, and I'm accepted by God and forgiven by God, not because of anything I did, but because of what Christ has done. And my identity is not from where I grew up, and, and I, I, I'm, my, my real identity is not Eddie Conway from Medfa. My real, my real identity is who I am in Christ. And who I am in Christ is forgiven. Who I am in Christ is accepted. Who I, who I am in Christ is set free to be the best Eddie Conway this side of heaven that I could ever be. And I find that in Jesus Christ, and there's no condemnation. You know, after that great treatise, Paul comes to Romans chapter 16, and he gives me a sense or helps me understand what the sovereignty of God looks like. So Romans chapter 8, verse 25, let's pray together as we begin our teaching. Lord, we thank you for your presence in our midst this morning. We thank you for the joy that you bring to our hearts, Lord. 
And as we look at your word this morning, I pray, Lord, that it would be meaningful to us and that it would be transformational in our lives and in our hearts. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So Romans chapter 16, verse 25, Paul writes this. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel. And Paul had so understood who he is in Christ that it, he, he appropriated the gospel so much, he's able to say this, that it's my gospel. And I can say that too. I hope you can say that. That that's my gospel. It's my Jesus. It's my Jesus who's rescued me. It's my Jesus who's brought me to a place where I can stand before him justified and clean and no shame and no guilt. It says, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to him to bring about the obedience of faith. And here is my way of understanding sovereignty. Paul says this, to the only wise God, be what? Be doxa, be glory. He attributes to God preeminence, excellence, beauty, majesty. He says, because of this way, because of this revelation of who God is, he is preeminent, he is to be glorified, he is he is full of majesty. He is full of beauty. And because of that, we worship him. The first thing in understanding the sovereignty of God is he is worthy of all praise because he is magnificent. Because, look at the text. Second thing, because he is the only one. He is, he is mono. He is one, singular. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 to forward to John chapter 1. In the beginning was God. Yeah, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning was God. And we begin to understand the Word and the Holy Spirit, even through Genesis chapter 1. And we see the clarity of that in John chapter 1. That in the beginning was God, and the Word was with God. And all of the created being was in a Trinitarian form, form. Three, yet one God. And so Paul begins to say that the sovereignty of God is his majesty, his beauty, his, his purity, his excellence, his preeminence, because he is one. Paul goes on, says, to the only wise God. This word for wise is sophos, and it means this. It means forming the best plans and using the best means for their execution. And so here it is. What is the sovereignty of God? It means he's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. He, he knows the beginning from the end, the alpha from the omega, and he is able to execute his plans by the very best means at the very best time because he is ruler and Lord and sovereign over all things because he's made all things, and all things are held together by the power of his word. And so when you use this word, God is sovereign. He is all those things. Come with me to Luke chapter 19. And let's look at these three aspects of God's sovereignty and apply them to our lives. 
First, God's sovereignty is purposeful. God has a purpose and a, and a mission and an end in mind. And you can see God's purpose in, the, in Palm Sunday. And God uses in his majesty, in his power, in his magnificence, in his all-knowing, his all-presence. He uses ordinary means to display that his sovereignty is purposeful. Take a look at the text with me. We're in chapter 19, verse 26, 28. It says, when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going on up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he, said, he sent two of his disciples, saying, go into the village in front of you where you're entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. God had a purposeful design to go get this colt. Now, I know some of you are kind of glazing over. So it would be like this. I want you to go down to 3A in Burlington to the BMW dealer. And I want you to go into the lot. And I want you to pick me out a nice three series. And when the attendant comes out, you tell them this, Pastor Ed has need of this. <laughs> and they say, what are you doing? You say, you would just quote them chapter and verse. Now I got you back. Come back to the text. So, the, so those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them, right? Just as I told you. My three series is waiting there. Go ahead, verse the, <laughs> You're saying he's crazy. It says, and as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? They're going to ask you that question. And here's your answer. And they said, the Lord has need of it. But I'm not the Lord. You just say, Pastor Ed has need of it. And we see this amazing, we don't know what's going on in the owner's head. We don't know why. He's letting this thing go. But we do know that God is sovereign, and he has a plan that he's working. And as we, as we looked at in Romans 16, that plan and that pur purpose was foretold by the prophets. And what we see is the purposeful sovereignty of God executing his plan. Why is it important to know that? Well, take a look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 with me. Paul says this, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to what? All things according to, his, to the counsel of his will. Why is it so important to know that God's sovereignty is purposeful? Because no matter what has happened in your life, God has a purpose for it. No matter what difficulties you face in life, no matter the challenges that you faced in the last year because of COVID, God is able to work all things according to his purposes in your life. When life comes and, when life comes and rocks your world, when you put all your hope and your dreams in something that you were assured of, when in your heart of hearts you said, I know this is God for me, and all of a sudden your world is rocked and your world is turned upside down, know this, God has a sovereign purpose that he's working in your life. 
And that sovereign purpose can be summed up in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that God who began a good work in you, he's the one that's going to bring it to completion. Who began the good work in you? God began the good work in you. Who's going to complete the good work in your life? God's going to complete that good work. Why? Because he is sovereign and he's purposeful about working in your heart and your life. So I can stand strong and I can have courage to face life, not, not in my own strength, not in my own wisdom, but I can trust in the sovereignty of God because he is all wise and he is the only God. And so deep in my heart, I say glory, preeminence, power. God is sovereign. The second thing we can see from our text is in a triplet form. And it's that, is that God is mighty in his sovereignty. Take a look at the witness and the testimony. It's in triplet form. It starts in verse 37. And as he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the what? All the mighty works of God. God is sovereign because he's mighty. Look at the next one. Saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and in glory in the highest. God is sovereign because he's mighty. God is sovereign because he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's that one that was talked about by the prophet Isaiah and, and chapter 9, that he is the wonderful counselor, prince of peace. He is that God. That is my Jesus. Thirdly, he says, he answered, he answered I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And so God is mighty and powerful in the midst of your life in the midst of our day. We live in difficult times, don't we? We live in a nation that's fractured. We live in a nation that's divided. Is God sovereign? Yes, he is. Does he have a purpose for you and me in our culture, in our day? Yes, he does. Because in his sovereignty, he brings his might, his kingship, his peace, and he brings the joy of praise to the heart of God's people. And so God is sovereign. He has a particular purpose for your life. God is sovereign because he's all-powerful. And there's one last thing that's very, say, unexpected. Have you ever met a powerful person, man or woman? Have you met, ever met someone, maybe you work for them on Monday, you say, I know exactly what you're talking about, Ed. Is that they snap their fingers and it happens. They execute their plans. It occur. They occur. But there's one thing about powerful people that I've come to know is they tend to get distant in heart from people. They tend to get, they get, they tend to get arrogant. They tend not to listen to people anymore. Every conversation has a way of turning and becoming about who? About them. That's not our God. That's not my Jesus. Even though he's all-powerful, mighty, purposeful, even though he deserves all praise because he's excellent and preeminent, his sovereignty is a tender sovereignty. 
His heart is full of compassion for people. And his sovereignty, he executes his plans, his purposes for the, for the objective that none might perish, that none might go to hell, that none might miss the kingdom. Do you know that's why Jesus came for you? He came for you because he doesn't want heaven to be without you. Now, that's a pretty heady thought, isn't it? But that's my Jesus. My Jesus is a tender, sovereign God. Take a look at the text with me. And when he drew near and saw the city, he did what? He wept over it. Why? Because all those souls, all those souls that were turning their back on him, he wept because he has a compassion and a tenderness. If you hear nothing more today than this, hear this. God loves you. He has a sovereign purpose for your life. That's to know him, to love him, to follow after him. He's a mighty God, and he's able to work in the, your darkest, the darkest time of your night. God is able to work. When the, when the coldest part of the night brings a shiver to your spine, my God is mighty, and my God is able. Why? Because my God, my Jesus, he is a tender God who has a heart for a soul that wants to follow after him. When he came to Jerusalem, he knew that in 70 A.D., what was going to happen? 70 A.D., the Romans were going to come in, and they were going to decimate Jerusalem. Did Jesus go, yes, glory? No. My Jesus wept. How can you access a God like this? A sovereign God who has a plan and a purpose for your life. How can you access a God who is mighty and powerful, and even in the midst of your brokenness, even in the midst of your difficulty, he can make it good? How can you access a God who has a tender compassion for your heart and your life, who weeps in the midst of your brokenness? How can you access a God like that? Well, there's a great verse. It's in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. It's when Jesus began his public ministry. Jesus says this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This word for repent is metanoia. I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean doing penance. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean paying your own way. It doesn't mean paying for your own sin. That's the way I was raised. Repentance has nothing to do about you paying your own way, you paying your own sin, you figuring it out. How are you going to get to God? Repentance is this. It's about responding to the grace of God that touches your heart even right now. Repentance, metanoia, means this, to have a change of thinking. In other words, to consider the sovereignty of God, his plan and purpose for your life, his mighty, his might to carry it out, his tenderness and compassion for you. It's about a way of thinking that says, Lord, I believe you. And in that belief, there's a turning and an embracing of what God says, who he is, and his purpose in your life. That's repentance. If you've been sitting here 
week after week, maybe listening at home, and you hear me say it all the time, repent and believe. It's the gospel. I can't save you. And I don't want you to come to church and just be a, a little, get a little dabble, do you? little dab of Christianity. Make me feel like, do, just kind of like put shame and guilt. Just, just diminish it a little bit. No, I don't, want, I don't want that for you at all. I want to kill that shame, and I want to kill that, go, that, that goose, yeah, that guilt. And the only way to do that is to meet Jesus, who forgives all your sins and cleanses you from unrighteousness and brings you into a place. And that requires faith, requires repentance, and repentance is this. I've considered it, I've thought it through, and I believe and trust in the gospel, and therefore I turn and I embrace. One last set of thoughts. Come with me to Luke chapter 15 for a minute. What does repentance look like? How do you access this sovereign God? Luke chapter 15, there's a parable there. It's the parable of the prodigal son. Do you all remember that? Look at with me, seeing you all know the story. Look at verse 17, verse 18, verse 20. And verse 17, what does repentance look like? The prodigal son said this, but when he came to himself, he said. That's the thinking part. It's the consideration part. It's the process part of repentance. I've considered it. I've considered the sovereignty of God, how he has a purpose for my life, how he's mighty to carry it out, how he has a tender compassion for me. I've considered that. Take a look at the next step. He says, I will arise and go where? I will arise and go to my father. That's the second step. I will, I'm, I'm, I'm going to move towards God and then the third step is you see what? I have sinned. There's a recognition that, they, that I, I've, I've not been what God has designed me to be. And what is God's response in the midst of that? What is God's, what is God's disposition to you right now? Right now, right this minute, if you've considered it, if you considered it and you said, yikes, I think I'm turning in the, in, the, in the midst of that. What is God's response? Look at verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was where? A long way off, the father made his decision. Yes. When he was turning, when he was thinking, the father saw. The fa did the father wait? Oh, I'm going to have him come, and we're going to make this thing right, and he's going to get down on his knees. Matter of fact, I'm going to make him walk up the steps on his knees. No, the father didn't do that at all, did he? While he was a long way off, the father says, the heck with this, my boy, I'm going to get him. That's the way the Lord relates. When I came to faith in Christ, and I said that prayer, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins, and I opened my eyes, I felt like the Father's arms were already around me. That is what repentance looks like. It's not a, <laughs> it's more about God's tender compassion for you than anything else. 
when the next time you hear sovereignty, I hope you think about God's plan and purpose for your life, that he's able to bring it about. You may not think it's possible. When I, when I lost um, my wife, Jan, my world was rocked. I thought, how could I ever have joy again? How could I, how could I ever love someone again? Who is going to be there for my adult children? Who is going to love on my grandbabies? And in the, midst, in the midst of that brokenness, God was sovereign. He had a plan. He was great and mighty, and he could bring it about. And he had a tender compassion for a broken man. And so he sent Nancy. Sometimes we make the gospel so distant, so far away, that how could it ever touch my heart? If you know the sovereignty of God, you know there's nothing, there is nothing in your life that God can't redeem, doesn't have a good plan for, isn't as isn't powerful, it is as I'm getting tongue-tied. He is powerful and mighty to bring about that plan because he has a tender compassion for your life. That is Palm Sunday. That is the gospel. And that is the hope that we carry in our hearts as we wait for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Amen.